0: Uh, In advance, Happy Father's Day. We honor all of you dads out there. You know, on Mother's Day, we give all of the mothers the day off. uh, You know, dads cook the meals or they take the family out for dinner or something like that. But Father's Day, no day off for dads. No, uh, we make uh, all of the fathers and everyone else work the Father's Day car show. So, yeah, thanks for doing that. And if you haven't signed up, go to fortcity.info and sign up to help. Okay, today we're, we're starting a short new series called Doubt and Faith and one of the questions that doubters have is why doesn't faith make more of a visible difference in the lives of people who follow Jesus? Or, or, or maybe better stated, how, how uh, can two people behave so differently but claim to have the same faith? Why is faith more obvious in one person than the other? I mean, that sounds like a good question to me. And then in two weeks after the car show, I want to look at why does God uh, so often seem silent? Uh, People uh, struggling with doubt struggle with what they see as the silence of God. And uh, so that's in two weeks when we go back to one service. Um, I'm drawing from a book written by John Ortberg called Faith and Doubt that has more recently been reprinted as No Doubt, Embracing Uncertainty in Your Life as I put these two messages together. So if you want to know where I'm stealing some of my ideas from, that's it. And now I What I want to do, I want to start this message today is I I want to get us to say some words of faith, uh, some words of affirmation that followers of Jesus have spoken together out loud in various cultures over many centuries. I'm going to ask you in a moment to stand and think about these words from the Apostles Creed that we often use at baptism around here. So let's stand. Would you stand now? And we're going to say this ancient creed together. Let's say it together. I believe in God He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. And friends, we believe this. We confess this. Now, in uh, Protestant churches like ours, people sometimes stumble when it comes to the word Catholic in that creed. And some of you wonder if it's a reference to the Roman Catholic Church or something like that. It's not. The word Catholic simply means universal. Jesus just has one body, and that one body is his church throughout all ages until he comes back. Now, two people can recite that creed. One is a humble, loving, truthful, full-of-life person, um, a person that everyone wants to be around. The other person affirms the same beliefs, but is selfish, angry, judgmental, kind of cold-hearted, and nobody really wants to be around that person. So here's the question for you. Do these two people share the same faith? Do they really believe the same things? And if they do, why are they so different? But the, the question I think we really need to ask is, if faith is so important, If it is such a big deal to God that we say that we're saved by grace through faith, faith alone, then why does faith seem to make a bigger difference in some people's lives and not such a big difference in other people's lives? It's a question people ask and it's used as part of the reason why they doubt that Christianity is true. And what about you? Ever ask that as you look at people who go to church? How can two people have the same faith but be so different? Why doesn't faith make, hey, a, a bigger difference in my life, or, or, or maybe his life, right? Uh, why? So, I grabbed this idea from Ortberg, but this idea is probably not original to him, but it's the idea that there are three different kinds, or three different levels of convictions. We all have convictions, but we, we hold these convictions in three ways, or, or maybe at three different levels. Level one, it's what might be called public convictions. These are the things that I say that I I want others to think that I believe, even though I I really might not believe them. For example, if a woman asks, does this dress make my hips look too large? The correct response is no. I didn't even know you had uh, hips until you mentioned them, right? These are statements that I make to protect my image, to make me look good, whether I really believe them or not. Let's look at an example from the Bible. After Jesus was born, King Herod said to the wise men, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. What do we have here? Well, Herod is doing a bit of a spin job, right? I mean, it's just so hard to believe today that a politician would bend the truth to gain public support, right? Just so so hard to believe. But yeah, friends... In ancient times, those things actually happened. So we're talking a a, a public conviction that makes you look good. Level two, or a second kind of conviction, could be called private convictions. These are things that I sincerely think I believe, but it turns out the the conviction doesn't go very deep. It's fickle. Uh, Under pressure, it's a conviction that uh, people bend on. For example, Imagine a person who's deeply attracted to someone else when that someone else is not available. They believe that the someone else is wonderful and they would love to be connected to that someone else. But then, when that someone else suddenly becomes available, when that someone else says that they're willing and even eager for an attachment, the person just finds out that when they really get down to it, they really didn't want that someone else at all. You know what I mean? Well, if that's not clear, a really clear example in the Bible is the night before Jesus died, and Jesus predicts that Peter will deny him. Remember that story? Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Even, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Okay, when Peter said that, was he sincere at the moment? What do you think? Yes, I, I believe he was sincere. Ah, but were his convictions true? Were they deep? No, not at all. Did Peter feel that conviction a little while later when the the heat was on and, and he was confronted with the possibility that he might have to suffer if he aligned himself with Jesus? No, he dropped his conviction, like, real quick. Sometimes we think that we have convictions, but it turns out we're a little weak You know, they're a little on the weak side for us. They're fickle. They don't run very deep. And and when circumstances change, we feel differently. We'll go to level three, a third level of conviction. And, And these are the convictions that really matter. They are our core convictions. And we see them by our daily actions, by what we actually do day in and day out. Now, most of you have probably heard of the term mental map, I assume. A, a mental map is what is deeply etched into our minds about what we think about things and issues, you know, what, what life is really all about and the way life really works. Mental maps are what we really deeply believe to be true. Let me use this example to get a, a handle on mental maps. Okay, I believe in gravity, I suspect you do too but that's just a part of my mental map. And because it's just part of my mental map, I mean, I don't have to work hard to live my life in agreement with that conviction about gravity. I don't have to say today, yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna up my faith, I'm gonna demonstrate my commitment to my belief in gravity. I, I don't have to work hard to keep from jumping out of a 10-story building, right? Gravity is just part of my mental map about the way things really are, and therefore, my actions are always in alignment with my belief in gravity. Does that, does that make sense? So, I have three different kinds of convictions. You, you might think of them this way. One, what I say I believe. Two, what I think I believe. And three, what I show or reveal that I really, truly believe. And here's the truth about you and me. You are not the best judge of what you believe. You're not. I'm not the best judge of what I really believe. The best judge of what I really believe is what I do. Because what I do, this always flows out of my mental map. My mental map is more about what I really believe about how things really are. What I think I believe, it could be bogus, I mean, what I think I believe might not run that deep in me. It, It might be a bit fickle but I never violate my idea about the way things are. You never violate your ideas. We, we live at the mercy of our ideas about how things really are. We, we, we all do. So, you remember the two people we talked about who would stand and recite and say they believe in the Apostles' Creed. These levels of conviction explain why one person comes across as a truly awesome, spirit-transformed person, but the other lives more like a jerk. But that jerk believes. Let's have a, a moment of confession, all right? Confession is a good Christian thing to do. How many of you, think about this, how many of you have been involved in any deception, any exaggeration or distortion at least once over the last year? Would you raise your hands? All right, if you're not raising your hand, you're doing it right now, okay? Okay, let's be honest with each other about some of the mental maps we live with. Let me list some of the things that are in some of our mental maps, okay? I believe that a lie is a bad thing, but it might be necessary for me to tell a lie to avoid trouble, right? Any of you? I believe that it pays to be nicest to people who are wealthy or attractive or smart or successful or particularly important in in positions of, of influence that could help me. I believe that I have the right to pass judgment on others. I believe that I have the right to gossip about other people. I believe that I had better be about looking after number one. I believe that 30,000 children dying of preventable diseases every day in our world are not worth risking my affluence for. All of that stuff is what is way, way down there. It's, It's deeply in you. And you can see that I believe it if you look at the way that I live, right? The writers of the Bible, they have a word for this that we don't use much in our day, but I used the word last week, so let's use it again. It's the word depravity. This word gets to how sin has twisted itself very deeply around the way uh, I think things are. Because, yeah, because my ideas are aligned with these misguided notions uh, and my purposes are aligned with these misguided values, they, they make bad behavior inevitable. Your mental map, my mental map, all of our mental maps are distorted by depravity. The Apostle Paul, talking about people who live far from God, describes it this way. Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. God gave them over to a depraved mind. However, Jesus, he came into this world uh, with a mission to redeem us so that we could be transformed into the best version of ourselves, the best version of who God made us to be. Now, in Jesus' mission to transform our lives, What kind of conviction is Jesus most interested in changing? Think about this. Public convictions, private convictions, or core convictions? It's core convictions, absolutely, right? He's interested in changing people's mental maps about the way things really are and to bring them into alignment with the reality of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom up there is coming down here, that through Christ, life in God's presence is now available It's God's kingdom come, God's will be done in my life as it is in heaven, right? This gets to the difference between the two people we talked about at the beginning of the message. They may both say that they trust Jesus. They may both think that they trust Jesus. But their mental maps, their their convictions about the way things really are, are night and day different from each other. Their lives look totally different and produce two different kinds of people and two different kinds of souls, even in people who go to the same church and affirm the same creed. What God wants to change is our core ideas about how things really are. In the words of the Apostle Paul, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. This is the key to you and me living and loving like Jesus. The question is, how do we get this kind of mind? How do we get this kind of faith? How do we change our mental map so that our mental map is more like the mind of Jesus? Friends, only God can do the change that we're asking for, but still, we have a role in the process. And I'll admit up front, sometimes the role we have seems a bit scary. Faith development, true discipleship, is sometimes a scary process. Now, this faith development process starts with learning what Jesus taught. We have to get into the Bible and learn what our Jesus ideas about how life works. We go to church, we go to small groups, we read our Bibles on our own, and, and we learn what Jesus taught. But friends, we don't just learn about what Jesus taught. We have to do what Jesus taught. That's where the scary comes in. We, we do what Jesus taught. Have I actually tried to forgive somebody or to give to somebody or to serve somebody? Uh, I mean, obedience to one of Jesus' teachings is worth more than, let's say, memorizing 50 or 100 verses of the Bible. In order for God to do a supernatural work to begin to change my mental map, I will have to learn to trust Jesus enough to actually do something that Jesus says to do. And that will always be scary. So I want to use an illustration that's common to preachers around the world. I've used it before. But if you could really think about this illustration and grab a hold of the image, I think it could be helpful for us as we understand our part and God's part in changing our mental maps. Jane and I have been to Cirque du Soleil on several occasions, and most recently we went to their show in Cancun, Mexico. It's amazing. A core part of any Cirque du Soleil show is the trapeze act. Now, now, trapeze acts are made up of two key individuals. There is the flyer, and there is the catcher. To help you get an idea of what those rules are like, I I want you to watch this video. Um, keep your eyes on the left half of the screen, and the guy who is highest up, that guy, is a flyer. Let's take a look at that first clip. Right. Look at that guy up top, his hands outstretched, his, his feet no longer secured to the bar. How do you think he feels? Do you think he feels fully alive at that moment, exhilarated? Do you think he's feeling any fear right there? Now I want you to watch the next moment as the other guy, the guy below him, he's the catcher. Just watch how it flows through. See that? The flyer goes home and he's caught by the catcher and he goes on to live the rest of his life and he is very, very happy. By the way, I am told that the catcher wears special socks that help him stay gripped to the bar and that he has magnesium dry powder for his hands because if you're a flyer, you don't want a catcher with sweaty hands, do you? Here's where trusting God comes in. As the flyer, you must have complete trust in your catcher. Now, you and I, when we watch a trapeze act, we think the flyer is the hero. But that's not true. The real star is the catcher. The catcher must be there with split-second precision and grab the flyer out of the air. The secret to trapeze is essentially the flyer does nothing, but the catcher does everything. When a flyer flies to the catcher, the flyer simply has to stretch out his arms and wait. A flyer must fly and a catcher must catch. The flyer must trust with outstretched arms that the catcher will be there waiting for him. So there are three moves in this trapeze dance of trust. The flyer lets go of the trapeze, whatever his trapeze is, and waits, waits until he or she is caught. It goes like this, letting go, waiting, being caught. Letting go, waiting, being caught. You see this sequence in the Bible all the time. God comes to Abraham and says, let go of everything familiar. Let go of your family, your home, your culture, and and go to where I tell you to go. Will you do that? Will you let go? Jesus comes to a rich young ruler one day. He loves him, and he says to him, will you let go of your trapeze? I mean, the rich young ruler's trapeze was money. Will you give away all your possessions, sell them, give the money to the poor, and come follow me? Jesus speaks to a woman who was caught in an adulterous affair. He says, go and sin no more. Will you let go of that relationship that you know dishonors God? So, what am I to let go of? What are you to let go of? Anything that will keep me from God. Let go of that relationship if it dishonors God. Let go of that attachment to money. Let go of your power. Be a servant. Let, let go of your addiction. Admit it. Get help. Let go of that habit. Let, let go of that grudge. Let, let go of your ego, your pride, your money, your reputation, your, your disobedience. This is how it works. It works. This is how faith is developed. This is how we have our mind maps changed so that, we, um, so that they become like the mind of Christ. God will come to you and say, let go. And then he says, wait. Does anybody here like to wait? I'm not real good at waiting. My wife will tell you that. Waiting is the in-between the time when I've responded to God, but things are not yet the way I want them to be. Still, I keep obeying, and I keep on trusting, and I keep on saying yes, and I hold out my hands. God, I can't make things turn out the way I want them to be. I don't have control. Friends, the flyer can do nothing. The catcher does everything. This is how you develop the mind of Christ. This is how you grow faith. This is how your mind map has transformed you. You let go, and you wait, and you get caught. You let go, you wait, and you get caught. For many of you in the room right now, God has been calling you for a while to let go of something. Or maybe you're just hearing him right now, but for many of you, it's been a while. God's been saying, let go. Let go of that behavior, that habit, maybe that relationship or some other trapeze you're hanging on to. God says, will you trust me? Will you let go? Will you obey? Friends, There's just no other way to get this life to the full that you so yearn for. There is no other way to experience the healing and wholeness that you're so desperate for. You've got to let go and wait for the catcher. Okay, now it's important that we understand that we're all born with a sinful nature. Our mind maps have been infected with depravity. It means we're all born holding on to a trapeze, a, a little trapeze called our life. And we hold on to it so tightly—our security, our, our, our need to be liked and accepted by others, our, our financial position, our importance, our, our worth, our stuff, our bodies, our, our health, our influence—we we hold on to it so tight. And Jesus, and then Jesus comes along and He says, "You—you you, you can let go of that. You can let go of your life because there is someone who is holding it." Friends, you can let go. You can die to all the things that would keep you from living in my kingdom, and you'll find out that you haven't died to anything that matters. Let go. Let go of all the darkness. Let go of all the selfishness. Uh, Let go of all the depravity. And every time you let go and you are caught, then your mental map will be changed a little bit more. Then something way, way deep down inside of you will be transformed. You will be living a kingdom kind of life. You will live and love more and more like Jesus. You just let go, wait, and be caught. And friends, whether you believe this or not, whether you will choose to trust Jesus or not, I tell you the truth, a time is coming, maybe tomorrow, maybe a week from now, maybe 50 years from now, but one day you will let go of this little trapeze called life, and and so will I. One day you will breathe your last breath and, and your hands will go slack and, and that trapeze will fall from your hands. And the question is, what happens next? A lot of people in our world just believe that's it, that's the end. Your neurons will just uh, stop firing on that day. Your six uh, million atoms that, are, that were employed by your body will find positions somewhere else in the universe. Well, we'll just neither know nor care. But Jesus, he had a core conviction. Jesus believed that there is a catcher and he does not have sweaty hands. Would you join me for a time of prayer? Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you are the catcher, that you will not drop us or let us go. Help us to let go, to let go of those things that hinder our relationship with you. Help us to let go and than with faith to wait. And build our faith, remap our minds as we discover that you are faithful, that you will always catch us. Grow us into a people with bold and courageous faith where our trust in you just becomes automatic, core to who we are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.